so Lee, um, I've got one question for you. Um, when the fuck do you find time to sleep? Because you're, <laughs> you, for reading your website, you wear so many hats. It's exhausting. <laughs> it is, mate. It is. I don't know. I think without it, I'd probably get bored. But then mm. sometimes I do think, oh, it does. I could do a break. Mm. Um, I mean, it's like to, like today after this. I've just got so many things to get done, podcast-wise, film-wise. So, but it keeps me out of mischief, I suppose. <laughs> that's that's the main thing, isn't it? Um, so, yeah. who, but when grown up, right, was there any other creatives in your family? Not really. I was, just grew up with my mum, one-parent family. Um and no, she wasn't. I mean, she was a beautiful person. She's not yeah. with us anymore, bless her. Oh, but, sorry to hear that. Uh, but uh, no, creative-wise, my sister was older than me, 10 years older than me. She was mis- doing mischief at school because she wasn't a very good student. Mm. And I was just always, I was listening to something the other day and they were saying that when they were growing up, they were always outside playing sports. And that I think that was that says a lot. Mm. I was just always outside. I was always creative, you know, drawing mm. or dressing up or... Mm. Um, but sports as well, but always outside and just love film, love film. Mm. Going to the cinema, I mean, it just blew me away every time. I, I grew up with cinema when, like, the first Superman came out with Christopher Reeves. Oh, shit, that's amazing. Yeah, because it's funny, my generation sort of, about five years before was the Star Star Wars generation. Mm. So a lot of filmmakers I know are a bit older and, and I get a lot of things on social media all about Star Wars because they're all <laughs> Star Wars fanatics. And don't get me wrong, I like Star Wars, but I haven't got that. You know, these went when they were kids and saw mm. Star Wars on the screen. But for me, it was things like Jaws, uh, the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk. Do you remember mm. that? Um, mm-hmm. David Banner, the the proper one, <laughs> Superman, and all and all those kind of things. They were just when I first grew up. I just remember seeing them on the big screen. I was like, wow, they're mm. like proper films. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember like the first film that you saw in the cinema? I've thought about this a few times. I'm not sure. It may have been Superman, mm. uh, or it may have been The Incredible Hulk. Mm. Uh, but fuck, I can't remember. I know I was young and it just blew me away. I, the cinema, we had an old cinema here uh, in the Neaton called mm. The Ritz. Mm. Proper old school, big old cinema. It's closed down now. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, you walked in all the red seats. It was massive auditorium. Oh. And it was like, wow. And uh, I don't, we haven't got that anymore, which is a bit of a shame. Well, well, we haven't got any cinemas at the moment, to be fair. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, I know. I know this, that there are some indie ones, indie cinemas and that around the country. There's a couple of good ones in London. Yeah. Um, that I want to visit. Where, whereabouts are you based, Carl? I'm based in London. So, yeah, yeah there, are a few, there are a few indie cinemas, but mainly, uh, well, at the moment, there's nothing because, you know, we're in this, yeah. this weird time. But it is mainly the big three. It's Odeon, Cineworld, and you. And yeah. nothing against nothing really against them because they do they do their job. Mm. They they supply public demand. And you know when I want to see like a big action mm. film or like a deep or a big multiplex movie, they're perfect. However, we do have like we have this chain of in the, still a chain but it is independent called the Everyman Cinema, and yeah. At that, you can get you can get recliner seats, and you can order food 
to your to your te- um, yeah. to your seat. It's it's amazing. Obviously, I don't go there too often, but yeah, um, yeah. Oh, that's, so, that's just that's the way it's changing you got to go with the flow i think uh it's expensive now that's one of the things that pisses mm. me off a little bit is that you know when i was a kid we had no money the old mm. sob story we had no money but i could afford my sister could afford to take me to cinema these days i doubt that very much because mm. it's not just the ticket price it's the cost of food and everything like that it's just ridiculously expensive i mean if we go as a family you're talking 60 70 quid easy yes. Um, it is ridiculous. So, where do you think the cinema is kind of headed at the moment? Because we've got mm. like VOD is just really popping off. And do you still think there's going to be a proper market for the actual cinema trips with things like Disney Plus coming and bringing all their releases out and bringing all the 2021 releases out on the streaming services? So you can watch my yeah. Home. It's an interesting time for me because I'm in the thick of it because I'm actually a filmmaker as well. Mm. And my film was being distributed. So I've sort of I've got two sides to the to this. One is I don't want to lose cinema. I think cinema's amazing. I think it's an event and we should never lose it. Mm. But streaming has opened a lot of doors and it's opened a lot of doors for me because the reality is as a, of, uh, an indie filmmaker that makes little films that don't cost much money. That would never show in the cinema. Mm. But now there's so many avenues to get it out there, not just in the UK, but all over the world. So it it opens a lot of doors for me. So I think it is it is good in in some respects. I love the fact that you can see some great film. I mean, some of the stuff, some of the content is amazing. Mm. Um, but I don't want. But the other side of me is I definitely don't want to lose cinema. I think cinema will be more event based. So your Christopher Nolan's, your big superhero movies, people mm. will want an event, which means the little indie films are going to struggle. So they but they've got the outlet now. Of, of of streaming services which is you know which is we can which can only be a good thing so for me personally as a filmmaker you know it, it gives your film a chance years ago you made a film and if it was rubbish that was it it wouldn't get out into the world now there's a lot more chance mm. uh I'm not saying that my film's rubbish but it gives me a chance <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i get what you're saying so um when did you first get the bug to be creative because uh, the way I say, the way I say creative because you're not just a filmmaker, you do the radio, you do a radio show as well, mm. and you do the podcast as well as writing and directing films. So when did you start getting the creative bug? Well, I got the creative bug when I was at school and I used to do drama, but I was never, never sort of the lead roles or anything like that. When I was about 14, 15, uh, I would pick drama for my for me um, GCSEs, and uh, the year above, who was uh, taking their exams, asked me to be in one of their plays with them. I thought, oh, that's funny. I must be good at this. And this was acting, so I got the acting bug when I was younger, and then life takes over. So it was always in the back of my mind. I was always doing little bits and bobs. Mm. Uh, I did some acting training and then i thought whoa this is this is you know you've got to dedicate yourself it's not as Mm. easy as i thought and then sort of 10 years flew by uh i'd still been writing a little bit here and there and then it got to a point how old was i i don't know probably 30 where i just thought fuck it i'm gonna put everything i can into just being creative so some people play golf some people ride the bike everybody's got hobbies i've got other hobbies but my main hobby is being creative and i just 
So, right, I'm going to write, I'm going to make little fil- short films, just do anything creative. Mm. Uh, and I just enjoy it. I mean, the thing is, it's no good getting into this kind of industry to make money because the chances are very slim. Um, so you've got to enjoy it and love it, which I do. And I don't, I'm not in it for the money, which is a good thing. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, so everybody has hobbies and I'll, I'll come in here today and I'll do some editing and and look at a screen for three or four hours and go insane. But mm. deep down, I do, I do enjoy it. Um, and even though I'm, you know, I've got a day to day job, mm. that's sort of very small and out of the way and not consuming at all. When I was, that's probably one of the reasons why I started Runs Around 30. Cause when I was in, when I left school, I worked quite hard and I became a manager. Um, mm. so I got really paid really well, work long hours, um, and it got, I got to, there was a, po- a crossing point where probably when I was about 30, uh, where I was, I was on the verge of having a breakdown because of, because of how hard I was working and the, and the stress of being in management. Cause I didn't really enjoy it. I just, I just got thrown into it, uh, the stress and that. And in the end, I just thought, fuck it. I'm going to leave that management, take a lower management job. That's just easy. And I haven't got to moan at people and work in a factory and stuff like that Mm. and then that gave me the hours that I needed to do my creative stuff and it's the same thing I'll say to my kids do something you enjoy something you love because you don't want to have regrets and I think that's where it got to I thought even even if you don't make it or you don't well what's making it anyway you know even if you don't make millions or become famous or (laughs) do you know sell your product who cares if you've tried that's what everyone wants to you know and it makes you happy so so yeah that's that's where it the path was he that's, says that's true that is that is so true man like people seem making it as being on the tv or having or having your posters up somewhere and it's not it's just really just enjoying what you're doing and have making the best thing that you can um whether it's like it'd be great if it's appreciated by millions, but even if it's just appreciated by tens or hundreds, that's just as good. Mm, yeah. 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 It's what, it's what makes you happy, isn't it? Mm. It's not about money. I learned that very young, that it's not about money. Yes. You want to be comfortable. You want to be able to pay the bills, mm. but I know a lot of people that earn a lot of money and they're as miserable as hell. Oh, and, you know, what is the point in that? What you're not making a difference. You're just building yourself an early grave. Mm. And yeah, you'll have a nice coffin, but <laughs> you ain't gonna know about it. <laughs> That's true. Again, it's true. So, um, what what came first? Is it the radio or was it the film or the film? The chicken or the egg? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, well, it was always film. It's always film. So, I did the acting realized mm. and then i thought right i'm gonna write so i wrote started writing mm. at school i wasn't a very good uh pupil didn't really give a shit i was sort of i weren't terrible but i weren't putting myself into it because i just mm. didn't see the, the point mm. um and then when i got older i really got into books reading and writing um and love that side of things. So that was the first thing was did the acting when I left school straight away, realized I didn't want to do that, fell into management. But then I was always writing just little bits in here, here and there, little stories, uh, and then managed to get a camera. Then I was in a I, I acted in a couple of short films. My father-in-law, he he has little hobbies and he had a couple of uh, cameras and just said, Oh, let's make a film. So we made that. And then I thought, well, you know, I'm going to get a camera. I suppose the thing is as well, 
Well, I didn't have much money back then, but what management did, it gave me the money to be able to go and buy things like a computer, a laptop and a camera. Not major expensive, but expensive enough that not everyone could get one. Whereas now, you know, we've all got phones and we can all we can all make a film on there. But this was back when you had to actually buy a camera. Uh, so, yeah, it was just messing around with that for the next 10 years, tweaking it here and there until I could actually make a, a decent film that would sort of... I could put in for festivals and win awards and stuff like that. Mm. So do you remember the first time that you submitted a film to a festival? Uh, well, okay, better question. What was the process like submitting it to a, submitting it to a festival? Well, festivals, you, there's two. Festivals are very good in some senses and mm. other senses are not. There's some very good festivals, some bad festivals. If you submit a film to a bad festival, you might, pay quite a bit of money and never hear about it um and get no feedback there's a lot of festivals out there now i don't know if you've really noticed there's just so many um and some are just so corrupt so it's knowing which is a decent festival um and some of the smaller festivals because the big festivals are difficult to get into because they get a lot of entries Mm. so you want to go for a nice little independent festival that the people who are running it really want it to work and do well and that's what i did and I entered one, uh, I can't remember, it was, I think it was Pennine Film Festival. I don't even know if it's still going. And I couldn't get to see it. My film got picked to be shown uh, and I couldn't get to see it. But they kept in contact with me and it won the audience award. And that's probably mm-hmm. the best award I've won because it was voted by the people that had been watching it. So they'd watched all these films throughout the weekend and they'd voted on mine and mine won. That, that's the best. You can win other awards for best picture and things like that. Mm. But the one that was voted by people watching it, I thought, yeah. Mm. I felt I was really happy with that. It gives you a bit of valid um, validation, if you like. You know what I mean? Because you always think, you could tell, you could speak to the wife, but she doesn't, you know, <laughs> it's not her bag. And I don't blame her. She's not creative. She, well, she is creative. She's a brilliant. But I think sometimes you need that in a relationship you you need because you sometimes she has different opinions than I do, but we talk about it. So I'm always learning because she's got a different idea on things and she's always learning. And that mm. works quite well. Like we're not polar opposites, but we are opposite in some ways. Well, that's good. Man. That's good. Yeah. Cause then it means you're not, you're both aren't in an echo chamber and that's kind of mm. what you need. Like you kind of, I'm not going to say you need chalk and cheese, but you need someone that's going to challenge you, don't you? Whether it be yeah. in a relationship or a friendship or whatever, you need yeah. someone who you can have enough well, enough um, similarities to get along with. But then, if they're not challenging you, then what's the point? Yeah, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot um, that's down to just being with her. Because some people say, like the dating sites now, right? Tick this box. Both life like horse riding and country walks and blah 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 blah. So you're an exact person, you know, and and that works for some people. But for me, a lot like bringing up kids, mm. uh, I I might have a go at one of the kids about something, and mm. she might turn around and say, "Well, is it that important?" And I'll step back and think, "Well, actually, no, it's not." And the same thing goes the other way. So you're learning all the time, but it's good to have that. It's good to have that conversation, and um, yeah, it works. Touch wood. And I suppose it's kind of a good thing that, like, you've got that where uh, in your home spaces and it kind of prepares you for criticisms and notes when it comes to putting your work out there and like giving it to producers, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
definitely. Yeah, you've got to be. I've got a rejection letter just here, right mm. in front of me, because uh, you're always going to get, and everybody's been through it. Everybody that gets anywhere or does anything has been mm. through the rejections, and you have to embrace them as much as they piss you off. Mm. You have to embrace them. I think I can't remember what J.K. Rowling said, but she sent out Harry Potter so many times to like seventy different publishers, and mm. they all said what a load of crap. Uh, <laughs> so. They are fucking kicking themselves right now. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, yeah. So yeah. that and that that's good when you hear stories like that, and I hear a lot of stories like that from filmmakers as well. Mm. Then it gives you hope, and you think it's worth pursuing. And it's if I enjoy it, mm. and you never know, maybe one day someone will say, "Actually, I quite like that." Mm. So, if you could give any advice to any independent filmmakers or writers out there, what would it be? Um, there's so many different bits of advice really the main thing is stick at it mm. there's a few bits of advice one, one is stick at it if, it if it's what you really really want stick at it the second thing is it's hard work so you've got to be willing to work your ass off mm. you've got to and that's going to be painful and if you don't love it you won't so stick at it work your ass off Embrace the rejections. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> Embrace the rejections and don't have an ego because if someone – I worked on a, a script for a long time. I loved the script. Mm. And then I was working with a producer on it, and he slaughtered the script. He okay. told me I had to take out scenes that I loved, change things, and it really – wound me up but i did it because mm. i knew he knew best okay. and i see a lot of writers they'll send me scripts and things like that and they'll ask me things and they're just not willing to listen you mm. have to be willing to listen if i turn around what don't ask me for advice if i when i turn around and say i don't think it's going to work you're going to need too much money mm. don't then go off in a huff you know, take it on board and think about what's been said because there's a lot of, especially with social media and that, there's a lot of amazing people out there, intelligent people with experience that you can call on. Mm. But always listen to it. Always take it in. And you just cannot be an arsehole. You cannot <laughs> because you won't laugh. And there's quite, a, you know, there's quite a few, but they've not really, there's not many that make it for the simple reason it's collaborative mm. and you have to work with people. You know, it's like if someone sends me a script and there's something I want to say to them, I'm worried they're going to take it the wrong way. But I'll tell them anyway because you've got to. That's 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 not your job, but it's your, mm. you know, that's my responsibility. And then if they go mardy about it, I would ne I will just, you know, never contact them again. Not because I'm being horrible. It's just there's no point. There's no point in that relationship. Whereas if someone takes up and says thanks for that, I look at it. Mm. Oh, and then you know they might message you again or you message them for information. So it's the only way to do it in this in this kind of environment. That's it. You can't be, especially when you're starting out. I'm not, I'm realizing this as someone who's just starting out in this kind of script writing game and had some yeah. feedback from people. Like you can't be wrapped up in your, you can't be wrapped up in your own ideas. And yeah. but at the same time, if you are in love with an idea, then you've got to justify it, and, then, and you can justify its existence. Then stick with it. Definitely try and stick with it. 
Because... Oh, yeah, but you're not. But you're taking our advice on board. Whether you mm. do it or not is fine. Mm. Yeah. You know, whether yeah. you, it, but ultimately it's down to your decision. But you're taking it on board, you're listening to it, you're thinking about it. Mm. There's scenes where there's certain things where people have asked me to change certain scenes. Mm. And I've just thought, no, I'm not going to. But I haven't said that off the cuff. What I've done is gone away, looked at it, thought about it. Mm. Uh, but ultimately, you sort of have to, you, like I say, you have to think, right, that's the work. Now my opinion needs to be different. Mm. Not the person that spent hours and hours on it. What's my opinion? Will this work? But, yeah, you've got to go with your gut. You've got to go with your gut and stick with certain things if you want to stick with them. But take advice on board. But it is a difficult one. When when I've had a few instances where someone's told me something, I'm like, it's, shall I? Shall I change that? And you just have to, you know, but if it's your passion, it's in your heart, and you just, mm. then you hold on to it. If it works, it works. Great. Fair play. But if it doesn't, always at the back of your mind thinking, mm, should I listen? <laughs> <laughs> and what sometimes can happen is, like, you may write something on a page. This is from what I found from some experiences. Like, if you write something on a page, the person reading it might not understand it when they've written it on the page. But when you have the conversation with them said, oh, it means this, then they'll go, oh, okay, I get where you're coming from now. So it's all about being able to communicate and, as you say, collaborate. Yeah, yeah. It is that as well. It's a funny old thing. Like when I did my, my feature film um, last year, my first mm. full-length feature film, everybody read the script. They liked the script, mm. but we couldn't, they didn't really understand it until we were in that room, until we were having meetings and I was explaining it. And that was the process sort of, yes, this is a story and this is it on the script, but what does this scene really mean? What's this? Mm. And that's when you are sort of giving them ideas. So, yeah, the script's a great thing, but you still need, like say, that communication mm. to come across when people really understand. But no one, and I remember Quentin Tarantino saying this, when he came to do Reservoir Dogs, they were like on about different directors, and he said, no, I'm, I don't technically, I might not know everything, but no one knows this script better than me. I mm. know these characters. I know where they were born. I know how they live. And it's, it, it's very true. I am an expert on this script. and no, I will be directing it and no one else. And that's, that's very true. That's brilliant. Guys, you made it through part one. So why don't you click up and go to part two for the rest of this conversation? See you there.